This morning, would you guys go ahead and open your Bibles to James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. We have a very special uh, speaker this morning, and she's a jack-of-all-trades, master of all. She, she led worship, she's doing the teaching today, and she's doing the Sunday school, right, the discipleship class. So we're putting her to work, and but she's doing it with all of her heart. And so uh, with, with that, would you uh, welcome up? Uh, Renee Danganen. Woo! Oh, wow. Thank you. It was not a part of the plan. We had some other, like a, our other worship leader got sick. So um, praise God we can be ready in season and out of season. Um, but yes, so good to just worship with you today. And, and I'm honored, feel, always feel honored to be able to give the, the message. If I could just say one thing um, about the trunk or treat that I was like super pumped about. Um, so we did a car, which nobody knew who we were. I was like, come on. Um, but I guess it's the, the crowds are too young these days. But we, I was Marty McFly, and John was Doc, Doc Brown. Yeah. So anyways, we, we had a DeLorean going, and people were like, what? They didn't get it to the end of the night. They'd come, now I know what you are. I'm like, it's 8.30 at night. <laughs> um, but it was a lot of fun. But anyways, um, so we kind of hung out of the trunk all night. And toward the end of the night, I was walking. I think I was like hanging out in the food section. Um, and then I was like walking back to my trunk. And then I saw these like four teenage boys. And they were like kind of... I could tell they had just kind of come in like from the street and they had like their little flat masks. You know, they have like the elastic and you can just pull it on your head and it's, it's just super simple, right? And they're wearing regular clothes and a mask, and it, but it wasn't on their head. And, and they had these empty, ginormous bags of candy, but they were empty, like big pillowcases that were empty. And so they're standing like and they're over there by like the entrance and they're like, well, I think, and they're looking at all the trunks and they're like, I think we got to put our mask on. I don't know, like, I think you have to do something. I think, I'm not sure. And I, I, I kind of just caught it. Like, I was just walking by and I kind of saw it. So I said, hey, you guys want candy? Come to my van. And they full on followed me. I was like, oh my gosh, these kids are desperate. Didn't your mom ever tell you not, that's the number one trick. <laughs> Come, you want candy? Come to my van. So, and I was like, I don't even know if they're following me because it was just kind of like, a, you know, I didn't stop. I just kind of kept walking. And then I got there and I had this, it was toward the end of the night, so I had a lot of candy left. I had just kind of refilled my um, big, I had a big cardboard box. I had just kind of refilled it. And there was, and sure enough, the boys followed me. There was four of them there. And um, they had their little, their huge cases filled with nothing. And I said, take, take it all are you serious? I said, yeah, take everything, take it all, as much as you want, just kill it. That means take it all. And, um, and so they're like, whoa, you are the nicest person we met all night. No, seriously, lady, like you are the nicest person. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know. They must have gone trick-or-treating around the neighborhood and I think they got like doors slammed in their face and like they're not little, you know, and they just had a little, you know, dinky mask on and people were like, I ain't giving you candy. But they were able to come. And what made me so excited is that they got to experience the love of Jesus, even though I don't think they could place that. But what really excites me is that we are like really praying for a youth group. And there are youth in this community that are like, get away, 
cast aside. And I'm like, Lord, I pray for those boys. And I had a couple other like high school interactions with a, a couple other kids that I was like, here's some candy, take as much as you want. And they're, really? There's free food? Yeah, go get free food. And so it was so cool to be able to just hang with the community and just love on the unlovable. You know, like they're not unlovable, but they're, I guess they're just an obnoxious presence that night, you know? <laughs> like. Take warning, teenagers, do not go trick-or-treating in this neighborhood. I think they'll, they'll, they'll beat you up. <laughs> anyway, so thank you again for everyone who served. But I would like to talk today, and it's so interesting. Any time I speak or give a message, I always feel like, man, I don't know how he does it, but like whatever I'm speaking on or giving the message on, I really feel challenged in that area as I give the message. And that is, like, I think that this week is has been one of the busiest weeks that I've had in a really long time, just trying to get everything ready for trunk or treat. And it just happened to be, you know, the weekend that I was going to speak, and then we happened to be doing the trunk or treat. And then the worship leader happened to you know, Colin sick. So it was kind of like all these things at once, but it really got me thinking about our schedules and just how busy we are. Um, and we are really programmed if we think about it, if we, especially if we have kids, um, you guys know that you, you got to lug them around everywhere, drop them off and kind of cart them around. We have our kids things. We have our own social things. We have events, sporting things. Um, we're busy. We're a busy culture. And I think that we lord over our schedules. We have some people that are like really good. Like they know their schedule and they're locked in, they're dialed in and they're like, nope, can't do it Wednesday because I have this, this and that and uh, Thursday should be good at this time because I have this, I got to put my kids down for a nap. And so we kind of lord over and control. We have control of our schedules. Um, and really, I think that we like to think that we're controlled, like we control our schedule, but I really feel like we're almost bound to it. And um, and I think that we, we all the time will do like uh, counseling with people that will just say, oh, I'm so overwhelmed. Like I just, I feel, and we're, we'll say, well, like tell us your schedule. And then they'll tell us everything they have going on. And we'll say, hey, like maybe you should cut things out. I've already cut things out. I can't cut out anymore. I'm like, okay, so you can't cut out the, you know, the ballet lessons or the play, you know, the drama lessons and the you know, art lessons and the camera lessons or whatever. You know, it's like we can really fill our schedule and then we become overwhelmed by it. But it's really interesting because I do think that our culture as I was studying, our culture, especially for moms, our culture rewards busy moms. Or busy, you know, you're super busy and you're getting it all done, and it appears like, dude, she's on top of it. Good job, hun. Keep it up, sis. Great job. Praying for you. You're like, I'm so busy. And you blast it on Facebook. Like, I got so much to do. This is everything I did today. And people are like, then you get like encouraging like notes from other other moms or other sisters saying, good job. I feel like we have a sense of pride when we feel like we can get everything done. Technology, you guys know like technology is supposed to make our lives easier and less busy, right? Um, but instead, I think that in, 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 instead of giving us more free time, it, enable, it enables us to do more. It's really interesting, I was reading an article um, by the 1970s and 80s, the idea that technology would free us from drudgery and give us more free time was everywhere. In the book, the mighty author Chris, 
In the book, The Mighty, author Christopher Evans predicts how technology will have advanced by the millennium to the point where we can enjoy a 20-hour work week and retire at 50. Like that was what was spoken in the 70s and 80s that there's gonna be this internet one day and it's gonna help us like only work 20 hours a week and we're gonna all retire at 50. Is that true? <laughs> it's like, no, it just helps us work more. Like we're more doing more. Um, and so with that, technology has not saved us on time. It does help with dozens of tasks, but it seems that we're busier than ever. Um, and I also feel like if we didn't get it all done, if we are overwhelmed by all the tasks, like we can walk around feeling defeated, we can walk around feeling overwhelmed. And so with that, would you all stand with me this morning as we read James chapter 4, 13 through 7? I can read and you can follow along. So this is what James has to say about the issue of time. Now listen, you say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why do you not even know? Why do you not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. And if it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. This is God's word. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. We adore you. We love your word. We love your truth. And Lord, I pray, God, that today as we um, dig into your word, I pray, God, that you will just help me communicate with clarity. And Lord, I pray that our ears and our hearts and our minds would be open, that we would be transformed and freed up today, Lord, to live for you. We love you, God. We praise you. We worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you be seated? I think um, as I was putting this message together, I was kind of thinking, oh, it's really interesting that it has to do with arrogance or pride and humility, and it all has to do with time, that the issue of time can really raise up our pride and our arrogance, or we can approach it humbly. And, and that's what we're going to kind of break down today. I was thinking back, like, I wonder, let me see. And then I remembered. Uh, so when me and John first got married, I was 25 and he was 26. And as I was preparing this message and just thinking about it, I'm like, oh yeah, dude, we were pretty arrogant like when we first got married. We had like the perfect plan. Like, and we told everybody, you know, like, well, we're gonna wait to have kids. We're gonna get married and then like both work. And you know, two years into it, then we'll start trying to have kids. And then uh, we were living in this really cool Spanish style house that his parents owned and we kind of like owned it with them. And we're like, and then that's gonna be our house. We're gonna like live in there forever. And there's like renter, property in the back so we had like our plan and then the Lord had other plans and it was so funny because like we got married and like three months later I was pregnant with Judah so like our anniversary is 
uh, October 8th, 2005, and Judah's birthday is like the very next year, October 12th, 2006. So like my whole first year of being married, I'm sick and pregnant, and we had to move from that house, and like we didn't even get to keep it like we thought we would, and I just feel like life is so fragile. Like even in saying like, oh, I'm gonna have a baby on this time and it, you know, it's gonna be great. It's like, no, we all know that. Like within like seconds, with that phone call uh, with a family member or loss or anything, health diagnosis, that everything can change, that everything hangs in the balance and life is fragile and that's what James is trying to say here. But I think that the thing is, is that we live in an arrogant culture. Our culture today is, it's all good to say like, dude, I'm the best. Like, if we, if we look at sports, like, we, we like love that arrogance. Like, there's somebody who's super cocky, like, oh, I'm the best fighter and I wanna beat him up. And I'm, we're like, yeah, we like that guy, you know? And we, we kind of have that arrogant culture and it's perfectly fine to boast and we all kind of accept it. But the crazy thing is, is if you look in God's word, that there is not one sin that God hates more than pride. Out of all the sins, God hates pride the most. And if we see, if we go to James 4, 13 through 14, it says, now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that city or spend a year here, there, and carry on business and make money. Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow and what is your life you are amidst that appears for a little while then vanishes. That the Bible says that you're like a vapor. Like I heard one preacher say, like an e-cigarette, you know, they puff and then that vapor is gone. That's our life. In, in comparison to eternity, we're but a vapor. And James says here, if you're going to make plans, we make plans, we don't even know if we're going to be alive tomorrow. This is the crazy thing, because that's really generous. It's really generous to say, hey, you don't even know if you're gonna be alive tomorrow. We could say, I don't even know if I'm gonna be alive by the end of tonight. We do not know what our next moments hold. And that to live like this is arrogance. To live life like this, to make our plans and make our schedules apart from God is arrogant. We need to consider this, that our very, the fact that our very breath comes from and is in his hands. That this planning apart from God's sovereignty is evil and I think it's interesting because it's so easy to say like if we were in a small group and somebody shared like oh I'm gonna move I think I'm gonna move to this city and get this job and I'm gonna do this we'd be like okay cool like we didn't really think of that as sin but James I love James it's like Jesus always takes it like one step further like if we are not considering God's sovereignty if we're not considering like you hold my very breath like they're just stating facts. Um, how many lives have been changed in a moment? You guys know life is fragile. Let's look at James um, 4, 15 through 16. Instead, what you ought to say, so James says, don't do this. Instead, do this. If it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this or do that. 
As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes, and all such boasting is evil. The way that we're living is arrogant, and it's not under the submission of God, and it's not recognizing his sovereignty. And what we should say when we're talking about our plans, and we're talking about our schedules and our lives, is if the Lord wills. And the thing that we see here, there's two issues in James that when we talk about our plans, we talk about our lives, we see two issues. The first issue is, I think this is the next slide. We need to recognize the sovereignty of God. That God is sovereign, that he holds our lives in his very hands. Recognizing the sovereign will of God, this is up to you, God, whether I live. If I'm alive tomorrow, here's what I'll do. And number two, the submission. We need to submit to the will of God. And I love this because I feel like this takes us one step further, that we would say, like, like, instead of saying, this is what I'm going to do tomorrow, like, God, what do you want me to do? Like, do you even want me to go here? Do you want me to go here? Like, what do you desire from me? Recognizing the sovereignty of God and submitting to the will of God. And we can see in verse 16, if we don't do these things, that it's evil. All boasting, it puts it in boasting. Like we say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. I got awesome plans for my vacation next year. It's going to be amazing. But that is boasting and that's evil. And I believe that we need to think through and ask, God, am I really in submission to your will? Or am I comparing myself to others who are more arrogant? So I think like, oh, I'm pretty good because I'm not like that guy. But we need to look at our own arrogance, our own lives, and like, Lord, am I, am I submitting to you? Am I in line with your sovereign will? And we can see James 17, James 4, 17. If anyone then knows the good that they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. I think a lot of times in the Bible we think of sin as resisting temptation or not doing something. But the sin here, again, James takes it further. If you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, that's sin. Doing the wrong thing is sin, but if you know the right thing and you don't do it, you're in sin. And I feel like when we look at our schedules and we contemplate our life, we look at the course of our lives and we can say, Lord, right now I'm breathing, I'm living. I get to be on this earth for a reason. What do you want me to do? I don't think, I think that's almost like a scary way to live. So I feel like if you say like, Lord, what do you want me to do? He's going to tell you. <laughs> and and then not doing what he wants to, like not doing it is a sin. And if you gave God complete control and we don't do what he asks us to do, that's the sin of neglect. And I love the book of James and how um, it talks about doing rather than just talking. I think a lot of times as Christians, we can say like, we, have, we know the right language, we know the right verses, and we know what to say. But 
James is about action. Let's do, let's do it, people. Let's do the word of God. Let's be the people of God that he's calling us to do. Let's not just resist sin, but let's actually do the will of God. I, um, I love this one um, preacher. She, she, her name is Joy Dawson. And um, she has this really funny story. She says she was sitting in a church and somebody got up and gave a testimony and they said, you know, God told me to do this. And I was like, no, Lord, I'm afraid. And then, then God told me again to do this. And I was like, but what if that's not my voice? Or what if, you know, that's my voice and not God's voice? Have you guys ever had those? Like, you feel like God's telling you to do something and you're kind of like arguing. And so what she was pointing out, so this, you know, this person was like, oh God, you know, after six times the Lord told me to do this. Like, I obeyed. I was so obedient and I did it. And, uh, you know, Joe Dyson's like, that's not obedience. Like he asked you, you were, you disobeyed six times before you said yes. And I think that that's true with the Lord. Like he's going to tell you what to do. He's going to make it really clear. And it's our job to be obedient and anything else is sin. And it's crazy how the enemy can distract us with our schedules, with something like time, with something that we think, oh, I've got control over this. I can decide what school I want to go to, what career I want, the path I'm going to choose. I hold that future in my hands. But no, the word of God says your life is like a vapor. You don't even know if you're going to be alive tomorrow. And I think that we need to consider this, and I love, I know you've preached on this before, but always just saying, like, hey, we're going to do this tomorrow if the Lord wills. And just adding that to your language to just say, like, oh, oh yeah, Lord, you are sovereign, and you are good, and you are holy, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to submit to your lordship over my life. I think if I can share a story with you, um, as we come to a close, I was kind of, again, when, anytime I do a message, I kind of look over the course of my life. And um, I remember I was 19, I was in Bible college, and uh, I was serving the Lord like almost full-time at my church. And I was like a full-time student and um, just really excited about what God had for me and what I was doing. And um, we had my parents, one of my parents' closest friends, I, I've never shared this story publicly, and so just know that it's with the most, like, it, it's out of a humble heart. But this is what happened. My parents, good friend, um, their names are Russ and Karen Bartmus, and they've known him for years, 20 years. They went to the church that I grew up in. And, and um, the man is actually uh, Barbara Streisand's producer, and he's worked with her for years, years and years. And that's like his full-time gig that he did and he he pulled my parents aside and he said look we have to have a serious talk about what Renee like where Renee could go with her gift and her talent like we need to talk about this 
And um, like my parents are like, what do you think about that? Like, you know, they kind of told me and they're like, oh, okay, okay. Um, you know how some parents like think their kids are like, my kid is amazing, they can, they, can, they can sing and they can do this. Like my parents were never like that. Like my mom didn't even know I could sing until like later. Somebody's like, Renee can actually sing pretty good. So my parents were never pushing me or trying to get me the spotlight. It's always been the Lord that has allowed me to, to do what I do. And so when they heard their friend say, hey, we need to sit down and talk about where Renee can go with this. Uh, my parents are like, okay. And then they like talked to me and I was like, oh my gosh, like that's amazing. Like, whoa. And so what I did at that point, at that point, instead of jumping on that, like, let's meet with them. Let's sit down. Let's do this. What I did at that point is I met with my mentor at my college then I went to Bible college, so this is a man of God, and he was the music director. And I sat down and I said, David, do you think I have what it takes? Like, this is what happened. Do you think I have what it takes? Do you think I have the talent? Do you think this is something that I could pursue? And he, of course, encouraged me like, yes, Renee, this is how you, can, you, you could do this. And I said, well, see, the thing is, I've done athletics my whole life. If I, if I want to be a professional athlete, like, I know, like, what races to be at and how to, like, what races to win in order to get recognized, in order to be a pro. I have no idea how to do this with music. And he's like, well, I'll tell you what, let's, you know, I'll, I'll tell you how to do all that stuff. And then you can, you can do it. And then you talk to this guy, you know, Russ, and that'll get you in. And so from that conversation, I went home. And for 40 days, I prayed and I fasted. I did, I, I fasted like all solid food. So I had like soups and juices and stuff. I prayed and fasted and said like, God, what do you have for my life? Is this something that you have for me? Is this like, should I per pursue this? And I think that that's what James is saying here that we don't just jump on like, dude, this is a killer opportunity. You should do it. You gotta be famous. You could sing. But no, pulling back and saying like, wait a second. Like, God, what do you have for my life? And I was 19 years old and I spent 40 days in prayer and fasting before the Lord. And at the end of those 40 days, the Lord said, I don't want you to pursue your fame. I want you to pursue my fame. I don't want you to be on the big platform. I want you to be a blessing to where I have placed you. I want you to use, yes, you do have a big gift, and yes, you could do this, but I want you to use your gift for the church that I've called you to. And I want you to always do that. Now, I believe my ministry, my calling isn't over, and I have no idea what tomorrow holds. But I know what I know, what I heard from the Lord. Pursue my fame. Don't pursue that, pursue this, and be comfortable blessing the little C, you know? We can be capital C people, but be comfortable blessing the little C. A week later, a few days later, our pastor's wife came to me and said, Renee, with tears in her eyes, Renee, you could be anywhere. You could be singing and doing anything, and God is using you to bless our church. And then a few days later, I got three phone calls from other churches in the area saying, Renee, our worship team is totally broken. Would you come? Would you just like minister to our teams? Would you come and like rebuild our team? Would you come and just like love on them and help them? 
three other churches that I was able to step in and, and kind of mentor and help. And the Lord made it very clear. The Lord will make himself and his will known. But it happens sometimes through prayer and fasting. And you may be sitting here today at a crossroads. You may be saying like, oh, I got plans. I'm going to do all these things. But I believe that as a people of God, the big or the small we need to get before the Lord. If you're feeling overwhelmed in your schedules, maybe like bring that schedule before the Lord and say, God, you remove anything that we're not supposed to be doing as a family. You remove any commitment that I need to let go of. And we need to come before the Lord and submit our schedules for him so that we can be the people of God that he's called us to do, to be. Amen?